0: So let me say this, uh, this is Divine Generations Church. Now the whole purpose of this ministry is to reveal the truest intentions of God as a father. Now we teach Jesus Christ, we teach the Holy Spirit, we teach about the kingdom, but we're revealing all that through the lenses of God as a father. Anytime you read the Bible, you need a point of reference. And one of the things that has happened over time in the church world is that we've read the Bible, but we haven't had the right lenses or better yet. We haven't had lenses at all. We'll just read scripture. But who is saying this? Whose plan is this? Whose purpose is this? And so even, you know, let you guys know that when you go to study, you have to read scripture through the eyes of God as a father. This is his plan. This is not Jesus' plan. Jesus said that he was sent. Jesus said the Father sent him, and then he said the Father would send the Holy Spirit. So that lets you know that this was the Father's plan. And the whole purpose of this Bible existing, the whole purpose of us coming here to church, is so that we can be, well, the reason for the Bible existing is because God wanted to be a father. He didn't do all of this to be God. He was God before this. He was God before he created the world. He was God before he created the earth. He was God before he created mankind. If all this was just for him to be God, it doesn't make sense. But he did all this because he wanted children. He wanted someone that he could love and that someone could love him back. So As I read scripture, that is my aim. My goal is to get you guys to grow up in Christ, is to grow up as sons and daughters and do what he predestined you to do. That's why we're here. Uh, We had a a good time on Sunday. The recording didn't come out as well as we liked it, so we didn't get to post it, but I will redo that. Might be next Wednesday, but I'm going to redo it because I think that needs to go up. That needs to go up on... the. on the uh, website, and all of our messages are free on the website. So if and the thing about the website that we have by through CloverSite is that all of the messages are automatically converted to a podcast. So if you have podcasts, you can go in there and you can put Divine Generations Church, and all the messages will come up. You can put my name, McKinley Hardy, and once uh, my wife starts speaking, you put Dr. Cindy Hardy. And and all the messages that she teach, that I teach, will come up in the podcast. And they're there for free. And you need to listen to them because this is one thing I want to stress, and I'll continually uh, reiterate this, is that this is not about intellectualizing Scripture. This is not about what you know as far as what you can recite. This is not about knowing the Scriptures. This is about soul absorption. You need to hear this until it gets into your soul and you become it even when the word came here, the Bible said that the word was made flesh and it dwelt amongst us and we saw his glory. And so that's what we're trying to do when we teach. We want the word to become flesh so that the world can see the glory because the Bible says that we are the light. We are his field. We are his building. We are his people. We are his co-laborers. So the world won't know him. Only way the world can know him is through us. All right? All right. Are y'all recording? Okay. I'm gonna get into the teaching for tonight. Just in case, okay, okay. So tonight we're gonna talk from the topic of the three dimensions of righteousness. Now, the reason for three dimensions is because anytime God gives us something, whether he asks us to love, whether he asks us to walk in righteousness, whether he w- asks us to walk in faith, whether he requests us to have joy, there's always three dimensions of it. There's always, and I'm, I'm going to use this, you know, the teaching I'm going to do tonight, um, righteousness. There is righteousness from God to us in which he made us right with him. And then there's Righteousness from us to him in which we carry out the plan that he has for our life with his character. Then there's the actual practicing righteousness. The same thing with love. It's three-dimensional. It's him loving us. Then us uh, receiving his love, loving ourselves. Then the third part of it is us loving other people. You can't bypass it. What we have tried to do in the past is we have tried to just love people without receiving his love and without loving ourselves. And so we're going to talk about the three dimensions of righteousness. Righteousness from the Father which is justification. This is the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. So through his righteousness, he made us right with him. There is nothing you did to deserve righteousness. There is nothing that you can do to be right with him. You only thing you can do is accept the fact that he made you righteous with him. So, the definition is the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable unto him at judging us to be righteous. The word of judging means to declare to be, to deem, or to determine to be, or to award judiciously, or to assign. To award judiciously, like if you were to go to court and... You were, you were suing someone, and you would win the case, or you would lose the case. Nevertheless, the judge would award either a win for you or a loss for you, and that would be the final say. If they awarded you a million dollars, then that would be guaranteed that you would get that. So this is how this, is, this, is how this looks. He has awarded us his righteousness. And I'll repeat it again. There is nothing you can do to earn this. There's nothing you can do as far as your attitude. There is nothing you can do as far as working with your hands, as far as practicing the law, as far as you trying to walk on eggshells, trying not to sin. There is nothing that you can do to earn his righteousness. He gave that to you. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go into our first scripture, which is coming from Romans 8, 29 through 33. This is 30, uh, only to 31. And it says, for those whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn amongst many brethren. So he predestined that we would conform to the image of his son. So the whole purpose of him making us righteous is because he wanted us to be his children. He wasn't looking for churchgoers. He wasn't looking for church members. He He is looking for children. So he predestined that before the foundation of the world. I want to be a father to them. That's why the Bible said that he so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son. So that if you believe in his son, you won't perish, but instead you get eternal life. What is eternal life? It's an eternal relationship with him that starts when you are born again. Verse 30, it says, and those that he predestined. Now, who did he predestine? Everybody. Everybody. Every man, woman, and child on earth has been predestined to conform to the image of his son. That is the predestined purpose for man, period. And then he says, Since I predestined everybody, I'm calling people. Meaning, I'm inviting you into the family. And the moment you accept the invitation, your your your, your spiritual state changes. You you are you were in Adam then you are now converted and you are in Christ. So he's calling us into the family. Y'all with me? Now, now that he has called us into the family, it says that those that he called, he also justified. He justified us, meaning he made us right with him. He did this. This is coming from the father to us. then it says that those that he justified he also glorified now glorified means that he changed your status in heaven so not only did he predestine you not only did he call you not only did he justify you but he also glorified you so he made you right with him in his sight and in the eyes of heaven he made you right with him But then he glorified you, meaning he imbued you with his presence. It would be like, how many of y'all know the story of the prodigal son? Okay. When the prodigal son took his inheritance and he left home, he ended up falling into hard times and then he came to a realization. The realization was that my father has many servants and they are eating better than me. He said, I will go home and I will say to my father, I have sinned against you and heaven and I no longer deserve to be your son, but I want to be a servant. Y'all read that? He said he no longer wanted to be your son. I don't deserve to be your son. I just deserve to be a servant. He took on this mindset, I'm going to go back to my father and just be his servant. So the scripture said that on the way home along the road, the father saw him coming, ran to him, approached him, and hugged him. The Bible said he jumped on his neck. He was awaiting him. But this is what I want you to see. The thing that he had rehearsed in the pig pen, in his mind, he is now speaking it to his father. He said, Father, I have sinned against you, and I no longer deserve to be your son. The father ignored him. He didn't even answer him. He turned to his servants and said, get him a robe, get him rings, get him sandals. Because what I need to do is I need to bring him back to who he really is. He wants to be a servant. He thinks that his sins have separated him from his father. The moment he comes back home, the father runs and hugs him. He wants to be a servant, but the father said no. No. You can't be a servant because you're my son. The mistake that you made didn't change your status. That's what glorification looks like. When he wanted to be a son, the father turned to the servants and said, get him sandals, get him a robe. get him a ring, glorify him. Return him to the status in which he belongs. So when we look in the scripture and it says that those that he justified, meaning he was right in his sight. Why are we right in in God's sight? Because we are his children. No matter what my children do, they don't lose their status as my children. They're right in my sight. I just look at the thing that they did as you need to mature or I need to spend more time with you or yeah, I may need to discipline you but that doesn't change your status. Amen? Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, look, the father is the one that made you right with him. There is nothing that any man on earth, any angel in heaven, any devil in hell can do to change that status. That is righteousness from him to us. He's letting us know, this is how I feel about you. Romans 4.25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So what is that saying? This is saying that Jesus was delivered over for us. He died on the cross for our transgressions, for our sins. He didn't do anything wrong. So he died for our wrong, for the wrong that we did, and his death made us right. You have to get this, because as Christians, as believers, we tend to think that this is our plan. We tend to go about it as if we were there in the beginning with God, and we had something to do with this. We don't. It is the same thing with me and my wife. When, when the kids were born, they, they didn't ask to be born. They didn't ask to be put here. We made that decision that we wanted kids. So it becomes now our responsibility towards them to make them understand and feel like they're our children, to make them feel loved, to supply their needs according to what we have. Romans 5, 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there results justification of life to all men. Verse 19, for as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one Many will be made righteous. So we know about the fall, right? We know about the fall, right? We know about what Adam did and what it did to society, what it did to mankind. Adam's sin disconnected us from the father. Adam lost sonship. Adam lost the kingdom. Adam lost the privilege to call God his father. When he did that, we all fell in line with that. So the scripture is letting us know that just as easy as it was for Adam to sin and lead a whole generation into being spiritually dead, even in the same manner, Jesus dying on the cross, uh, 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 Being in a grave for three days, then resurrecting, ascending, that gave us the right to life. It's hard to accept. It is so hard to accept. It is very hard to accept. I've seen it. I've been in church for 20 years. I've seen it. It is hard for Christians to believe that we are right with God and it's not based on what we did. It's totally based on what he wanted us to have. Amen? I got to get used to this. Y'all quiet. Y'all got to say something. Throw up two fingers of power to the people of something. <laughs> Verse 20 says, The law came in so the transgression would increase. But where sin increase, grace abound all the more. Now that's crazy, ain't it? The Bible says, well, law came in so that transgression would increase. The law came in so that you could see your sins. It came in so you could see where you were wrong. The law came so that we would know that even if we obeyed it, we still could not be right. Even if we tried to obey the law, we could not please him. It would not be pleasing to his sight. So the scripture said, when sin did increase, grace abound even the more. Now, we're going from Old Testament to New Testament. So in the Old Testament, before Moses, how many of y'all know that the law wasn't given unto Moses? The law wasn't given unto Moses. So you had the fall of Adam... Then you had Abraham, then you had Noah, then you had Moses. So Adam's, uh, Abraham's righteousness towards God, uh, uh, the the predestined purpose or the predestined promise of God making Abraham the father of many nations was before the law. So when we fast forward it to today, and he lets us know, look, you are in righteousness. You are righteous through Jesus Christ. He's letting us know this. Watch this. He says, Where sin did abound, grace did abound even more. So now we are taught that the more sin increased, the more God got away from us. God separated from us. How many of y'all heard that in church? That the more you sinned, the more God ran away from you. The more you sinned, the more God did not want to have anything to do with you. But scripture does not say that. The Bible says that where sin did increase, grace abound all the more. How does this look? The more my children sin, the closer I need, the more, that means the more I need to spend time with them. Like I told you, God is the perfect father. He's the perfect father. If he can separate himself from his children, because of sin, then so can I. Like I told you, everything is three-dimensional. The first thing God does is he shows us. This is how you do it. He shows us this is how you do it. Then he expects us to do it. It's not a thing where he tells us to do it, but he doesn't do it. Verse 21 says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin brought us to death, spiritual death. Sin brought us to a place where we were disconnected from the spirit realm. It says, even so grace reigned through righteousness. So through righteousness, through him making us right, he said, you know what? Now when you make a mistake, I'm not gonna see it as I did when you was in Adam and do away with you. How many of y'all know that nobody in the Old Testament had the privilege of calling God a father? Nobody. In the New Testament, the whole purpose of the New Testament was to get us back to that state where we were his children. So he's letting us know that even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life, it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. But what is eternal life? Eternal life is an eternal relationship with him As his children. This is what the father wants. He wants a relationship with us that starts when we're born again and never ends. We need to know that. He's not looking for a relationship that ends as soon as we make a mistake. This is righteousness. Now we have righteousness towards the father. Righteousness towards the Father is integrity, virtue, purity of life, uprightness, correctness in thinking, feeling and acting. Example, Matthew 13 to 15. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you and do you come to me So now John knew that he was the forerunner of Jesus. He knew that he was introducing the lamb of God, that he was going to be the one to pre- His ministry was to present Jesus. And so Jesus comes to him and said, I need you to baptize me. John says, you want me to baptize you? He says, no, I need you to bapt He says, no. I need you to baptize me. You're the Lord. You're the Son of God. You're the Lamb. Jesus said, verse 15 says, But Jesus answered him and said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus saying? Y'all talk to me. What is Jesus saying here? He said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus saying? Allow it to happen. Why? Because this is the Father's plan. So, like I told you before, you have righteousness. From the father to the children. And that is him saying, I've made you guys right with me. You don't have to try to put on the pony show for me. You don't have to try to to pray for 10 hours. That's not what I want you to do. You don't have to walk on eggshells. You don't have to measure yourself about how much sin you commit or you don't commit. That's not what makes you right with me. That is from him to us. But now we have righteousness from us to him, and that is for us to fulfill the plan that he has for our life, to stay on track on that plan, the plan that he has for our life, and for us to do it with integrity, for us to do it with, with correct thinking, for us to do it with his character. And so we have Jesus, Jesus could easily agreed with him and said, you know what, you're right, I'm the Lamb of God, let me baptize you. You ain't on my level, which is true. But Jesus said, no. Permit it at this time so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Bible said, and he permitted it. Now, the Bible says that God knows the end of a thing before the beginning. Which means, y'all got that? He knows the end of a thing before the beginning. Generally, we start things and we await the end. The Bible says that he starts at the end and works his way back to the beginning. So your life is literally a book that he has already finished. That's why you have a destiny. That's why you have purpose. That's why you have visions. That's why you have these visions and you see yourself. You will see yourself on stage singing. You will see yourself writing books. You will see yourself doing things in life and there are visions that God has given you because your life has already been written. It's already been written out. He started your life. He knew I was going to be a pastor before I was born. He told Jeremiah that I knew you before you were born in your mother's womb. I knew it. I made you a prophet of the nations before you were born. <laughs> He's not like us where we have kids. We look at them and say, what's that boy good at? What can that boy do well? That's not how he does it. He knows in advance. That's why the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That's why the Bible says that the word is a lamp unto our feet and is a light unto our path. That's why the Bible tells us to meditate on the word because it's already been written. We just got to stay on the course. That's why Jesus would say things like, I must preach the gospel because this is why I was sent. That's why he would say, I was sent to seek and save that which was lost. He was only interested in staying on the path that the Father had created him for, the path of righteousness. Even David said in the famous, or the Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It said that he leads me down the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Matthew 5 and 20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you would not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So God has already has the plan for you. But Jesus was always dealing with the Pharisees and the Pharisees were always trying to keep the law because they thought in them keeping the law, it made them right with God. So when Jesus would go to heal on a Sabbath day, they would tell him that he was wrong for doing that because in breaking the law, it would make him unrighteous. Romans 3 and 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Read that again. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Oh, sorry. What is he telling us? Your fleshly acts don't make you righteous. And we're going to get more into that in, the, in, the, um, in practice of righteous, righteousness. But your fleshly acts don't make you righteous. You, could, you can pray for 10 hours a day and someone could pray for a half an hour a day, you are not more righteous than them because of what you do more. You can read the Bible 24 hours a day, and someone you could take someone who's a child of God that never reads the Bible, and you would never be more righteous than them. What you do in your flesh does not make you righteous. He made you righteous. Practicing righteousness. Matthew 6 and 1. Now, this is Jesus teaching his disciples. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. So what thing that we do know that we have to practice righteousness. But he said, beware of doing it in a manner where you try to be noticed by men. Giving. He says... Verse two, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse four, so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is practicing righteousness. One of the ways we practice righteousness is through giving. But he said when you give, make sure when you're practicing your righteousness that it comes from your heart to me. That you're not doing it to be noticed. You're not walking around saying, you know what? Man, I put $1,000 in an offering plate. that was your reward you lost your reward you wanted men to notice you he said now this is how if that's what you wanted that's what you got you lost your reward but the thing i want you to see is this that in practicing righteousness who rewards you who who who? Father. I'm waiting on everybody. Who? Father. You need to know that that when you practice righteousness, the Father rewards you. Not God, not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. The Father rewards you. Why? Because practicing righteousness is a thing for His children. This is what He does to keep us on the right path. This is what he does to build us up spiritually. This is what he teaches us to do so that the spirit realm will respond to us. Like I told you last week, everything, like I told you guys Sunday, everything that we do or that he asks us to do is so that we can become like him. If he asks us to give, it's because he wants us to grow up to be generous like him. God does not, most people lose their blessings because they're stingy. They want to stay on the world system, and the world system is, Keep everything that you have, keep it for yourself, build it up, and then tell everybody that you made yourself rich. God said, Not as my child. As my child, I need you to be like me, I need you to be generous like me. So He requires us to give. And the giving is not just money, the giving is of your time. The giving is of your faith and the giving is of your money. And he wants us us to give our time because you know what? He has called you to do something and you're going to need people to give him your time. You're going to need people to support you and what you do. So he said, give your time to people. He wants you to give in your faith. Don't just believe in yourself, believe in others. Why? Because he's called you to do stuff in which people are going to have to believe in you. But if you're a child of God, and the only thing you concern you can with is what you got going on, then when it's time for you to do what he's called you to do, nobody supports you in that. Same thing with money. I asked, uh, I asked them this in Bible study one time. How many people, how many of y'all want somebody to walk up to y'all and give y'all a million dollars? You'll take that? Now, we want that, but we won't give a hundred. You see where that's how off that is? We want everybody to pour into us. Pour, pour, pour into me, pour into me. But we don't want to pour into others. That's why it is practicing righteousness, because it is practicing, it is practicing how to act like him. Praying. It says when you pray, not if you pray. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Prayer is practicing righteousness. He said, beware how you do this. He said, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be hypocritical with it. Don't pray in a manner where you can show, where you try to show people that you can pray. You ever seen that in church? In the name of Jesus, I bind him. Just yelling for no reason. All to impress people. You know what they're looking for? Somebody to tell them you're anointed. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone to tell them that they are anointed. They're looking for someone to, to, to pat them on their back and tell them how deep they is. How deep they are. So God said, when you do that, that's your reward. Fasting. It says, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say unto you, They have their reward in full. So he's telling us to practice righteousness. I want you to pray. You have to pray. You have to give. But beware how you do these things. Because you can do it in a manner where it it has no effect. You can fast for 40 days and go around bragging to people about it. Why are you on your fast? You walking around like this. What's wrong with you? Fasting, bro. (laughs) Fasting. He said, that's your reward. You fast for nothing. All that was for nothing. That's crazy, ain't it? Verse 17. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Once again, who is doing the rewarding? The father's doing the rewarding. Why? Because you're doing this as his child. You're not doing this as a saint. You're not doing this as a church member. You're not doing it as a pastor, as a prophet, as an evangelist. That's not why you're doing it. You're doing it as his child, unto him. And everything that he does, everything that he asks you to do, he's going to check your character to make sure that you are doing it unto him. Y'all with me? I told you, y'all be quiet. I don't know what. I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> Where they say, when the is good, you don't talk much. Hebrews 10 and 23 through 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So a part of our righteousness is what? Fellowship with one another. This is a family. I'm one to agree everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs an apostle, a prophet. You need the five-fold ministry. But even more you need a spiritual family why because your spiritual family represents light your natural family does not represent light they do not represent divine truth they represent actually darkness you need a spiritual family you need a body of people in which you can grow and y'all are all growing towards the same thing because how many of y'all know your family is not like that other? how many of y'all all y'all family in god growing trying to live for God. That's why he created this family, so you can grow. That's one of the reasons why you come to church. You come to church so that you can know one another, so you can love one another. You don't know you love until you get offended in the family. You don't know that you love until somebody offends you, and that love has to be tested. So he created this family, and he told us to fellowship and grow together. I tell people all the time, The reason why me and my wife have such a good marriage is because we stayed in the body of Christ with our marriage. We weren't at home just me and her trying to be married. We were in the body of Christ, seeing other marriages. Having people who had been married longer than us walk us through the process that would tell us when we were wrong, that would tell us when we were right, Someone that we can sit down with and ask questions. The reason why the Bible calls us sheep and it gives us a shepherd is because that's not a, the, the sheep is the dumbest animal on the face of earth, on the face of this earth. And if it's not guided, it will get lost or it get devoured. That is us in the spirit realm. When it comes to the spirit realm, we are ignorant. How many of y'all been to heaven? Stop, Kirby. (laughs) We don't know how to live from the spirit realm. So we have to be taught like that. Marriage in the natural, marriage in the world is totally different than marriage in the church. Love in the world is totally different from the love in the church that God expects from us. It's totally different. In the world, I love you until you offend me. And then you give me a reason and I I, I no longer have to love you because of what you did to me. In the church, under God as our father, it don't matter what I do to you, you have to love me. Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times shall I forgive my brother in a day? Seven times? Now that's a lot, ain't it? That's a lot for one day. Seven times a lot for one day. I think if you offend me seven times in a day, I should at least be able to not like you for the rest of the day. At least for the rest of the day, I don't have to deal with you. I can just cut you off. You know what, bro? Get out of my face. I don't want to see you. I want to talk to you. But no, he said in a day, I can, he said, not seven times, seven times 77. Do the math. What's that? All my mathematicians. Huh? No, you can't do that. She want to round it up. Seven times 77. 539 times. So I can offend you 539 times in a day, and you have to forgive me. Now, if God expects me to do that, what can I expect from him? Because you know you will make a mistake. And six months later, you're still down about that mistake you made. That's crazy, ain't it? Why? I told you, it's all three-dimensional. God is not asking you to be patient with people and he's impatient with you. He's not asking you to love others, but then he's not loving you. He's not asking you to forgive people, but then he's not forgiving you. All right. Y'all get it. All of that for this. I think she missed one. She did. We, we missed one on here. Yeah. The fifth one, because there's five, there's five ways of practicing righteousness. And the fifth one is word time. Word time, study time. Second Timothy 2 and 15. Let me get it. How many of y'all got a Bible with y'all? I know you at least got one on your phone. I'm going to use the King James Version. Y'all got it? 2 Timothy 2 and 15. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the fifth way in which you practice righteousness is studying the word of God. Studying scripture, studying the Bible is how you practice righteousness. The Bible says study to show yourself approved. Don't study to prove yourself to people. Put the word in you so that you can be approved unto him. When you study, he know you're serious about wanting to know about him. The Bible said that the Holy Spirit will bring all things back to your remembrance. The Bi- he can't bring anything back to your remembrance that you haven't studied. He's going to remind you. You put the word in you so in difficult times, you can pull it up. If you don't study, there's nothing there. So he says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not be ashamed. Most people are ashamed of God because they don't know the word. I've seen Christians, like I told you, I was talking to a minister one time, and he'd been ministering for years, years he'd been ministering. And we were talking about a specific word, and I said to him, this is what it says in the concordance, in the Greek. He says, what's the concordance? This is a minister, he's teaching God's people and had no idea what a concordance was. I said, well, how you been looking up the words? He said, in the Webster's Dictionary. (laughs) No, (laughs) you can't do that. (laughs) The Old Testament was translated from, was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. When you study scripture in the New Testament, you have to go see what that word means in the Greek. When you study in the Old Testament, you have to see what that means in Hebrew. You can't study and see what that means in America because that was not the original language in which it was translated from. You have to study in Greek and Hebrew. You have to study, so you have to get you a concordance. If you don't have one, Blue Letter Bible. Go to it's an app called Blue Letter Bible. And when you're studying or reading the scripture, you can just hit the word and it'll take you to a concordance. And it has the lexicon and the strongest concordance there. And then you can do a scripture jump, and which means that. If that word is used a lot of times in the Bible, it'll, it'll direct you to where, what it means just in that scripture. That's why I tell Christians, that's why I don't argue with people. I was telling the pastor the other day, I said, I don't argue with people who don't study, and I don't argue with people who are not called to teach. You'll get yourself in arguments with people about the Bible, and they don't even study it. You're wasting your time. They don't even study scripture. They don't even read it, let alone study it. The Bible says study, not read, not listen, study. So that you can rightly divide the word of truth. When you divide something, what do you do? You break it down to the smallest number. You need to break every word down to the smallest. That's why when I talk to people about the Holy Spirit... And people say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I tell them, that's good, but you're not full. And they've been in church for so long that they heard people saying, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that they tend to think that that means that from your head to your toe, the Holy Spirit is in you. But when you look in the scripture in the Greek, it means that the Holy Spirit is influencing you. That's all it means. But then when you look at what it means when it says that it's full of the Holy Spirit, it says that it covers every part of your soul. So you, you're filled when you get the Holy Spirit, but the end game is for you to be full of the Holy Spirit. How many times, you, how many people you heard say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? That just means the Holy Spirit whispering to you, telling you, stop doing that. <laughs> That's all that means. But when you're full of the Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit has your character, it has your disposition, it has your appetite, it has your aversions, it has your feelings, it has your will. But when you're filled with it, it means it's just talking to you and encouraging you, comforting you to do the right thing. Totally different. But if you don't study to show yourself approved, people will argue you up and down. And having cracked the concordance to save their life. Okay, enough of that. But this is the end goal right here. Matthew 6 and 33. It says, says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So now, we did this whole teaching about the three dimensions of righteousness to get you to the point where you understand that you have to seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. We chase stuff. We go out and try to get stuff. But the Bible says if we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, meaning we, we, we receive his righteousness towards us, understanding that we have been justified, we are right with him, then... We have righteousness towards Him in which we walk in a righteous path, a righteous manner, and we practice righteousness. Meaning, we fast, we pray, we give, we study, and we fellowship. So you seek the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's the Father's world. You seek to understand the spirit realm and how it works, and you seek to walk in righteousness, meaning you accept the righteousness. You walk the righteousness, and you practice righteousness. And if you do that, the scripture said that everything that you want, it comes to you. You don't run to it. That's the world way of doing things. They run after money, hustle, got to grind, got to get up and do. No, you got to get up and pray. <laughs> and see what the Father wants you to do for the rest of the day. You keep doing that, it's going to lead you to money. Matter of fact, you keep doing that according to Scripture, money going to come to you. It said it will be added to you. It's going to be added to you. Amen? All right, three dimensions of righteousness. Okay, let me, I'm gonna try to get this right this time. If you wanna give, we have a bucket for giving, and also you can text and give. So you text give to that number and follow the prompt received in a text message about giving.